What's up, everybody? Welcome to Stick to Football. I'm Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report. No Matt this week. Matt is out sick. But for Draft on Draft, our great producer, Whiskey Dan, will be joining me to get through all of your questions. So still got a loaded show today. Of course, going to go around the league. Going to talk about an interesting MVP race heating up between the two young quarterbacks in Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff. And of course, stock watch around the NCAA A lot of players stock up this week for me that I'm going to get through. But jumping right into things, the first thing we got to discuss is Jared Goff versus Patrick Mahomes. What we've seen from these two, and I know we've talked about it on the show recently, these two quarterbacks being the breakout stars. And it's not to forget about Carson Wentz and how good he was before the injury and how good he can be coming back from this injury But it's how good the development has been between these other two signal callers with Mahomes getting his first full season as the starter. He has taken it and absolutely run with it. I think we actually saw his first bit of vulnerability in the first half at Denver, a very difficult place to play against a very good defense. And it's not that he played poorly in the first half, but we saw some signs that he can be stopped. The way he played in the second half to ultimately win the game for the Chiefs right now, and if you're looking for the ideal Super Bowl matchup after just a quarter of the NFL season, it is the Kansas City Chiefs and Los Angeles Rams. And a lot of that starts with how these guys have played. Mahomes has shown that when the game is on the line, he can do the spectacular plays and lead his team down the field. When you look at the Rams, It's almost as if Jared Goff has not been tested yet at this point. The offense has been so good that they really haven't had competitive games yet. It's absolutely insane. And just breaking down the numbers here, that's what stands out the most. They're on record-shattering paces. You look at Mahomes, 14 passing touchdowns, no interceptions. It is an absolutely absurd pace, a guy that can very well surpassed the 50 passing touchdown mark. He had his first rushing touchdown on Monday night football. And you look at the weapons around him and even with Sammy Watkins having to leave the game, but still have Tyreek Hill, still have Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt playing spectacularly running with it, almost a different physicality and attitude that we haven't even seen from him yet. A guy that led the league in rushing last year looks even better early on this year in spurts. This offense is unstoppable, and and talking about the Chiefs' defense, that's something we can get to another day. It's going to come up at some point in the big game, especially when they, you know, inevitably will have to run into New England and Jacksonville to get through this AFC. But there's not a team that can keep up with this offense right now on the AFC side of things. So Mahomes, statistically and just on the field, has been absolutely brilliant. And across from him in the NFC, a guy that this relates to the draft because these were such interesting players. You had Goff, who was really written off after a really brutal rookie season under Jeff Fisher, where he did get seven starts and (laughs) didn't even complete 55% of his passes, only five touchdowns and seven interceptions through the four games this year. He's got 11 touchdowns, two picks over 1400 yards passing. He is set to shatter the single-season passing record, which is absolutely ridiculous. They are getting Todd Gurley involved in the pass game. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, the star that we always expected him to be. It's absurd that he's on his third team. 
it, when you look at these two guys, this is the future of the league at such a young age. Jared Goff is 23 years old, and it's something that's almost overlooked at this point. When you talk about age of quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, 23 years old with Goff. It's you, you judged him at 21 years old and you saw, is he a bust? And then now you're 23 and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Mahomes sat an entire season. And now in his first full year starting, he has been arguably, I think the best quarterback in the league. So the development of these two is so interesting because you have the argument of, play the guy right away as a rookie, no matter his age and situation, or sit the guy and let him develop. And they're both interesting because they've both worked in different routes. Yes, you can make the argument that Goff sitting that entire year would have been beneficial to him, but you can also make the argument that he's now had the ability to clean up the problems that he had. He doesn't look frantic under pressure. He's not gun shy anymore. He's getting the ball out. With Mahomes, he looks comfortable running an offense that's tailored to his strengths pushing the ball down the field while also maximizing the skill set we saw out of Texas Tech, a player that can get outside of the pocket, get away from pass rushers, and make any single throw on the move. So it's a fascinating MVP race because they are two of the youngest starting quarterbacks in football, and they look so far ahead of everyone else at this very early stage of the season. So moving on to the college football world, Clemson, you know, obviously moving on from Kelly Bryant really left without a choice. Yes, they decided to start Trevor Lawrence. But when you look at the Kelly Bryant situation, I think he made the right move by transferring. And I understand that the team is not happy with that decision. Dabo Sweeney has been very adamant that they are moving on. And the irony that Trevor Lawrence does get hurt pretty quickly against the Syracuse team He is back at practice. It's a matter of can he stay healthy? Because now they don't necessarily have the backup that they would in Kelly Bryant that we've seen go out and lead this team to a college football playoff. So the transfer rule has seen two totally different situations. You have Kelly Bryant, who did not want to burn a year and will transfer early on. And then you have Jalen Hurts, who is going to stick it out at Alabama, has burned the red shirt the five game rule. And you can argue, is this rule good for the players? I think it is. I think it gives them a chance to rebuild their career somewhere else that values them as a starting quarterback. Kelly Bryant, there's rumors around that the league already wants him to make the position change to wide receiver to be or running back one of the two to have a chance as a pro career. But this is a guy that's won at a high level and wants to keep playing quarterback at the college level. So I understand it. I completely get it. And on the Clemson side, there's plenty of risk moving to Trevor Lawrence because he's a true freshman player. And we've already seen durability come up. He is not fully grown into that six foot five frame where he can take bone shattering hits like we saw against Syracuse that did take him out of the game. But his ability as a passer is there's a much higher ceiling in this offense, throwing to T Higgins, getting the run game going for ETN who just, really shouldered the load for Clemson and kept, you know, their college football playoff alive and well by having a superb second half and really entire game against Syracuse. I talked about it on the Monday show. I I think I put him fifth in the Heisman rankings. I think that's how special of a player he's been for Clemson. I know it's going to be hard to get against those quarterbacks, but with Lawrence a little banged up and with the backup quarterback situation now questionable, I think they will rely on that defense, rely on the run game with ETN. So a really interesting situation to monitor in Clemson. 
When you look at Hertz, I, I think this is the ultimate team move. I don't know if it's the best move for the player. Obviously, Tua is their guy going forward. Tua is going to be the starting quarterback the rest of this season, the rest of next season before he de- inevitably declares for the NFL draft. Tua might come out with three championships at the end of this. It's it's really unbelievable. And at that point, there's no decision to be made. If you win three college football championships, you're going to declare for the NFL where he could very well be a first round pick with his talent. So, all right, you know, they had to get around the league, wanted to still do a kill the narrative this week. And I wanted to get through Matt since he couldn't be here. He said his narrative is that this is a good draft class. And I know this is something him and I have talked about privately. It's something we've talked about with the league. The league and ourselves do not actually view this as a good draft class. I don't think there's a proven potential franchise quarterback. Justin Herbert is the lead guy, and I think he has a lot of promise as a prospect. Outside of him, you like the upside of Haskins. A lot of question marks after that. This is not even close to last year where we had five first-round players with superb all-pro kind of potential with each of them. You could see that within them. So, And you look at there are pass rushers in this class. You're going to get into some of them later there the offensive line group is not as strong as we once thought i think jonah williams can be a very solid tackle i think greg little has been just okay so when you look at this draft class the league is valuing and that's why you're seeing picks be traded so often we we, teams get ahead of these things the saints went up and made the move and gave the packers a future one to go get marcus davenport teams are ahead on draft classes and know what they're looking at a year in advance chicago felt that offering two ones to go get Khalil Mack was worth it. A move that was obviously a fantastic one as Mack is the front runner, the clear front runner for the defensive player of the year award. So an interesting narrative to kill this week. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of breakout players. I think this wide receiver class can actually be a very special group, but as a whole, you have to wonder how will this class look when everything is stacked up? Will there be more than 15 first round grades, not first round players, first round grades, I'm siding on taking, you know, a push at that point. I think it'll be somewhere between 15, 16, 17 first round graded players, not the high mark of 25 and up. So, all right. The last thing I wanted to do to go around the league is some quarterback reviews, a fantastic breakout performance for Mitch Trubisky, a guy that we've always seen the promise with him had one year of starting at UNC was the Ohio high school football player of the year. So, The talent has always been there. The playtime necessarily has not. He did play 12 games last year. He was just okay. Really almost, and you hate the term, but game manager, guy that was trying to take care of the football, not really push it downfield too much. I think you saw in Nagy's offense what Trubisky can be. He's been extremely accurate this year. He's completing 70% of his passes. He now has eight touchdowns and three picks because he threw six touchdowns this weekend against Tampa Bay, a Tampa Bay defense that has questions on their own. But at the end of the day, Trubisky averaged almost 14 yards per completion. And you saw a little bit of what he can do. He's mobile. He can push the ball a little bit more downfield than you thought. He didn't look gun shy. He took his chances and he made plays and they got Tariq Cohen involved, the perfect kind of check down option that can make things happen after the catch for Trubisky. So my biggest takeaway from this game is, is that the Trubisky and Nagy pairing, I think in the long haul, is going to be fine. And I think another guy that bounced back really well is Deshaun Watson. He came out a little slow, returning from serious injury. Of course, there's going to be concern there with, you know, now two knee injuries on his resume. 
But I think what you saw in Watson in a really big win over the Colts for this team where the Texans put up 37 points is you saw the player that can really be a deep threat. You saw a player that can, you know, maybe make things happen with his legs. He's now gone. He had over 40 rushing yards. He got in the end zone on a rushing attempt. Yes, he was sacked seven times. That's not all Watson's fault. This offensive line is going to struggle. They're going to ask a lot of him to escape the pocket and extend plays. And that's what can make Watson a really special player. He's going to turn the ball over. He's going to be sacked. But Watson as a whole, when Will Fuller is on the field, looks like a different player. And now Fuller is still battling that hamstring. And it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of his season plays out. But, you know, this young era of quarterbacks taking over the league right now is a special group. I went over Mahomes and Goff who are headlining it and Wentz who is always going to be in that picture with, I think he will break right back into the pack of those three. He just needs some time, but you look at Watson, you look at Trubisky. These guys are high end starters. You saw Josh Rosen look really, he played very well. There were drops in that game, but something Matt and I have talked about on this show so much is these quarterbacks, you know, coming out of the college level and being first round picks and being prospects with so much potential. They're the new era. Eli Manning, Big Ben, Philip Rivers, they're going to ride into the sunset here within a couple of years. Even Tom Brady, at some point it comes to an end. The new wave of quarterbacks has so much promise, and that's important for the league. All right, now as we do every single week, I want to get through some players in the college football world that their stock is climbing for the NFL draft. And four stock ups for me this week. I will read Matt's because uh, he had some really good ones. One being a guy we got to see live at TCU and not on the field for TCU, but for Iowa State. That is David Montgomery. Seeing Montgomery in person, he plays at a true 230 pounds runs with power, actually looks a little lighter on his feet than you would expect for a guy that size. He has that compact Saquon Barkley build. I think he does have a chance to be the first running back taken off the board. I don't expect a running back to go in the first round this year right now, but when you look at Montgomery, he can very well be a top 40, top 50 kind of pick and a workhorse running back. So an impressive showing in person for him and just a guy that continues to create yards after contact consistently. Matt's other two for the week were Damon Arnett from Ohio State and Damon Harris, another running back from Alabama, a guy that chose to go back to school to Alabama in a very crowded backfield. But on that Alabama team, he continues to really handle the load for them. And he doesn't even have to play in the second half all the time because they're just blowing everyone out. But you look at Harris, the numbers aren't going to be eye popping because he doesn't need to get the ball 10 times a game, but he is making things happen as a pass catcher. You know, teams do know what he is. He probably would have been a day two pick last year if he declared. That's not going to change this year. It's going to be very interesting to see how he tests and if he could push his stock to the next level. But want to get into my stock ups, starting with somebody that has completely jumped off the film right away from Florida. Ja'Kai Polite, an edge rusher for the Gators. A really interesting transition for him here. He he was listed as 6'2", 260 pounds. He quit junk food, quit candy this summer, has slimmed down to about 240, 245 pounds. It's showing up on the film. This is arguably maybe the second best pass rusher in this class behind Nick Bosa for edge players, not in the conversation 
with an Ed Oliver type player that plays on the interior. You have Cleveland Farrell. You have Brian Burns. These guys are making noise off the edge. Polite is finding his way into that conversation, especially with him being more consistent recently. Four sacks in the last three games. He can bend. He can dip. He gets off the snap very quickly. Losing the weight and kicking to the outside has been tremendous for him. When you look at Polite, his stock is on the rise from a guy that you talk about over summer. You say, okay, well, if things work out for him, he might leave early and he might find his way into the third or second round. I would put that behind you. I think he has the skill set for a team to take a pass rusher like that in the first round. So it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of his season goes. He needs to be consistent on the field. If he can carry this momentum that he's had in the last three games, his stock will only continue to climb. The next one on the other side of the ball, a really tough loss for Stanford, but somebody that keeps balling out for them every single week, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, the big wide receiver for the Cardinals. I mean, 6'3", 225 pounds, and showed you a little something different this weekend with that route to get to the corner to really smoke the defender. A lot of what Arcega-Whiteside has done is bodying defenders in the red zone, almost boxing them out like a basketball player for the rebound. But as he shows a little more of his game, he now has eight touchdowns on the season through just five games. He is a true red zone threat. The yardage between the twenties is never going to completely jump out off tape, but you go back and you look at a guy like Cortland Sutton for the Broncos that was taken in the second round. Arcega Whiteside is going to be viewed as this type of red zone threat, a difference maker in the red zone. I don't, expect him to be in the first round conversation with these wide receivers. But when you get into the top 40, top 50 picks, a quarterback's best friend that can win in the corner that can not only box out, but go over defensive backs. He makes things happen every week. The connection between him and Costello to put up six points consistently has been very good. He is a senior. You hope to see him at the senior bowl. Seems like a lock for a senior bowl invite. So our Sega white side, still on the rise as he keeps catching touchdowns every single week. The next one, another stock up, a guy that's been on the show, Zach Allen from Boston College. I think pro football focus said they had him registered for 12 pressures against Temple. He had a handful of sacks, a forced fumble. What you like about Allen is so much is his consistency, even outside of the box score. He shuts down the run. He really controls blockers and knows how to get off blocks and set the edge and play in the interior, get in the backfield to create tackles for a loss. He's almost looking like, you know, when Henry Anderson is at his best for the Colts and now for the Jets, quietly having a very good season on pace for 10 sacks. Zach Allen is the type of guy that can really control the line of scrimmage that way. And it's been a fantastic season for him at Boston College, coming off already a really good year. This is another player that just appears to be bound for Mobile, Alabama to keep his stock climbing. I don't know if he can climb into the first round, but when you look at his production right now, it's already been better now. He has three and a half sacks through Boston College's first five games. He's batted a couple balls down at the line of scrimmage. So Allen can play three tech. He can play five tech. He's said on the pot he doesn't mind bumping it, you know, playing the four. He can do a little bit of everything. I know he even said he doesn't mind playing the wide nine. So you're looking for a player that can give you a high motor, excellent technique, pass rush threat while being a stalwart lockdown run defender. Zach Allen is your guy. So another really good week to build upon for Allen. Next up, the last of stock up for me, another defensive lineman that 
has been essentially unblockable. And this was against a good Stanford group. Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame, four sacks against Stanford this week. Uh, He's come out of the gate absolutely firing. He's been really important up front for that Notre Dame defense. Another senior player that when he got to the, when he got to Notre Dame, the expectations were very high and he was just okay. Now you look at his senior year, uh, six foot seven, over 300 pounds, explosive getting to the football pursuit has been excellent. He already has seven sacks. He had two against Michigan, four against Stanford, one of them against Vanderbilt. He is playing good against really good teams and he's creating plays. He's been a playmaker. Tillery is just jumping out. We were talking earlier in the year about Ed Oliver, about Rashawn Gary, about Dexter Lawrence, these big guys that can play on the inside. Gary also plays on the outside. Tillery is a defensive lineman that's trying to find his way up top conversation, just having a fantastic final season for the fighting Irish. All right. Now, as we do every single week, time to answer your guys draft on draft questions. You sent in a bunch of really awesome questions this week, and I have a special guest for everyone. Matt is sick. Like I said earlier in the show, thanks for sticking with me. And now I have our illustrious producer, Whiskey Dan. Whiskey Dan, welcome to the show, man. Ah, uh, you fool. You let me in front of a microphone. Yeah, well, I, I needed a little help this week, so <laughs> you're coming in clutch. Coming from Miller, man. It's like, this is like the Drew Bledsoe situation, right? And he's down. <laughs> is this where you take over your Hall of Fame career? Exactly. Exactly. Sorry, Matt, but you know, this is how it goes. All right. Our first question is from super listener, Sylvester Valderrama. All right. We're talking... QBs still on rookie contracts. Connor, rank them. Man, it's really tough because they're all playing. A lot of them are playing so well right now. I think you have to start with Patrick Mahomes. This is a player Mm. that's on pace, like I said earlier in the show, to win the MVP award. And right behind him, who's set to shatter the passing yard single season record, is Jared Goff. So Mm. for me, it's Pat Mahomes. Second is Jared Goff. Third, let's not forget about Carson Wentz. He was special last year before getting hurt. And and then it gets really interesting. I'm still a huge fan of Deshaun Watson there in the fourth spot. I think Mitch Trubisky is going to really catch fire from here now. So I I like those guys, one through five. It's too early to do the rookie quarterback. Some of them have only had one true full start. This is going to be a really great question to revisit at the end of the year. But at the top of the food chain for me, it starts with Pat Mahomes and then Jared Goff. I got to tell you, Connor, as a Bears fan, seeing Mitch Trubisky fire out six touchdowns, I didn't know what to do with myself, man. It was like, is this reality? Is this just, have I slipped into an alternate universe? No Bears quarterback has ever done that. And, okay, sorry, I'm I'm getting a little. No, he was awesome. And and more importantly, (laughs) their head coach, you know, he was brought in to lead that kind of offense. And you saw it against Tampa in an exaggerated fashion with six touchdowns and no picks, just lighting up the Bucks. Yeah, I could get used to this beer universe bears we're experiencing. Okay. Uh, at Four Toe Steve wants to know, <laughs> is Trace McSorley the next great Patriots receiver? Oh, my question for Four Toe Steve is, is what happened in the foot accident. But when you look <laughs> at Trace McSorley, <laughs> I love this question. It's obviously a joke a little bit. But in all seriousness, for McSorley, a great college player, great college quarterback, I don't think he's going to make a position change at the next level. I think he's going to work out with the quarterbacks, hopefully maybe land that senior bowl invite and get plenty of workouts in and try to stick as a backup quarterback in the NFL. He's a gamer. 
He always brings it for Penn State. Uh, he always makes plays. He is athletic. He's a good athlete. So I think McSorley's going to stick at quarterback. And hopefully he's not the next great Patriots receiver. Uh, all right. Next question is from Luke Parrish. And we're going to, ooh, I like this. Let's, uh, let's use our imaginations here. If you could go back in time, get, hop in your football time machine, Connor. If you go back and put a draft bust on a different team and change his career, who would you pick and where would he go? Man, there are so many options there with that question. One for me that we always we've done on this show a couple of times is David Carr, because Mm. I I will die on the hill that David Carr wouldn't have been a bad NFL quarterback, but he got drafted by an expansion team Mm -hmm. and got absolutely abused early on, which makes it that so difficult. So obviously the Texans were given that first pick. The Panthers took Julius Peppers second overall that year. I don't know. I, I just feel more confident that maybe David Carr, if he didn't go first, if he went second, if the Texans weren't an expansion team that season, maybe things would have been a little different for him. Would you consider RG3 a draft bust? Yes. Uh, I don't know. That, we always have this debate between injury. <laughs> if it, it does count in a sense. And with RG3 and his history, and his style of play, you knew that was part of the equation where the debate was between Andrew Luck and RG3 that yeah. year. Washington feeling comfortable enough to make a gigantic splash to go up and get him. I do think RG3, though, was a bust at the end of the day. I think he was put in offense by Kyle Shanahan that was tailored around his strengths, and he had a marvelous season as a rookie. But you can only you can't sustain those kind of hits at the next level. And right. he needed to take those chances to be an elite level playmaker. And in return, he got hurt, which there were scouts that did feel that could happen. So at the end of the day, he is a bust. If you're going to live an elite life, you got to play elite. That's, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, the elite lifestyle. I do. I have a master of the elite lifestyle. OK, <laughs> next question from Tyler Warden. If you could take any current college football player and put them on another team, who would it be? Oh, this is a fun one. I would put Justin Herbert, who's probably the (laughs) best draft-eligible quarterback in the country. Take him from Oregon, put him on LSU. And that's no knock on Joe Burrow, who's done a fine job for LSU this year. There's a reason they've won some big games. They got a really big one that we're going to be at in two weeks against Georgia. But if you put Herbert on that LSU team, I think the conversation would be, how great is that Alabama LSU title game going to be this year rather than can anybody give Alabama a shot? So that's a layup one for me. And the you know quarterback has been LSU's kryptonite for a while. They've gone from really poor quarterback play to average with Burrow, but going to Herbert would be getting a star back there. Mm, yeah. Okay. This next question comes from Harry, just plain old Harry, like, like a Madonna or Prince or something like that. Uh, what are the pros and weaknesses for declaring as a junior, a senior, or a red shirt sophomore? Yeah, of course, there's pros and cons to each side of the coin here. When you look at seniors, they're easier to project for scouts. You generally have a better idea of what kind of player you're getting. You're actually seeing it with the Broncos most recently on Monday Night Football with Royce Freeman. There was a level of comfort. Now, his ceiling wasn't viewed as particularly high, which is why he fell to the third round, but he was a star running back when healthy at the college level. Now you look at the younger players and a good example is two guys that are starring with Mahomes and Goff. 
they were really, you know, 21 year old kind of rookies or 21 year old draft picks. There's a lot of room to grow at the quarterback position when you're that young. And the same can be said for Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen from this year, two very young quarterbacks. While you have Baker Mayfield, he was 23, two years older than them. The ceiling is bigger. There's a lot more upside. Now the spectrum gets bigger. The bus potential is much higher. So declare and also instant impact factors in right away. Often senior mm-hmm. players are ready to take the field as rookies. And it's not to say that underclassmen aren't, but the rate is higher for senior players. They've been through more. They have the opportunity often to go to the senior bowl or all-star games. So it does matter at times for scouts. And it's not necessarily an all good or all bad thing for either one of them. Okay, Sam Robinson is up next. What's the difference, Connor, between someone being a good college quarterback and a good NFL prospect? Well, it's simply traits. And I do think IQ matters. The NFL asks a lot of quarterbacks, absorbing a much often deeper playbook, playing at a higher speed, going through progressions at a faster rate. So listen, it goes back to what we talked about earlier with Trace McSorley. He's a guy with, you know, maybe an average at best kind of arm. He's not going to, you know, physically, he's not an overwhelming quarterback. And you look at, it goes also back to last year's draft, why scouts loved Josh Allen. And at the end of the day, you have to be able to play the position. But prospects are projections. And Allen was a guy with all-world arm strength and mobility and size. And that checks the boxes for a lot of scouts. But you have to be able to play the position. And sometimes there can be a good college quarterback that can play the position at the college level because Mm -hmm. the game speed isn't as high. Maybe they run their offense better in that system and their arm strength doesn't hold them back. So it is a big difference. And for scouts and for the league, it simply comes down to traits and what they can develop from raw talent versus what's just simply not there. Yep. All right. Wyatt Charter wants to know uh, your thoughts on Colton Miller. He has offered his thoughts on Colton Miller. Uh, Wyatt says that uh, he seems to be much improved over the first uh, four weeks of the season. No sacks allowed. Seems to be shaping up as a good run blocker. What do you think? Yeah. And Wyatt sent me a follow up on Instagram with this one also that in that same draft class, Arden Key looks promising to him. Maurice Hurst yeah. already has some production with the two sacks and the forced fumble. Me and Matt crushed this draft. Absolutely crushed it. <laughs> And I think there's been some positive takeaways here and that I'll gladly eat crow from it. I I do think PJ Hall and Brandon Parker, I I don't know what you're really going to get from them. But Colton Miller, he's been the surprise here. I do think he's been very solid in pass protection. I don't think he's a great run blocker. I think he's just okay. He needs a really an offseason in the weight room to add strength. Another younger prospect. So I, I like what I've seen. It's only four games, but it's been impressive. And This draft class might be one of the positives. What's been a really poor start to the second John Gruden era. Our Mm. key, the questions always were character off field focus on the game. He's dedicating himself at this level and has been solid. He had a good summer. There's a lot of excitement about him with Maurice Hurst. The question has never been about talent or ability on the football field. It was passing medicals, and he simply could not do that for the rest of the league, but he did for the Raiders and he's on the field playing well and I don't know how long that career will be. I hope it is very long. I hope he can always pass their medicals and be an effective player. Because if that's the case, the Raiders got an absolute steal on day three of this draft. And if you hit on three players in a draft class, that's a very, very good draft. So it's early, but so far, very, very promising results from this Oakland draft class. 
a lot of the hate for John Gruden has uh, has sort of manifested as well. You know, he's coaching a somewhat creatively uh, uh, schemed offense, but he's just a shitty general manager. Maybe we were too hasty on that. Yeah, I, I still think he needs somebody in there that can get him players. I think he's yeah. living in a a mindset that might be you know ten or twelve years too old. But at the end of the day, <laughs> the guy can coach football. Now yeah. the question is, yeah, and. Clearly, there were some good picks here, or at least some promising early results. But I do think he will look to get his own personnel guy in there. I don't think the Reggie McKenzie era is for long. And hopefully he does go a younger route with whatever hire he makes. Got to get back in time. All right. From Jared Brown. Ah, our good friend, Jared Brown. This is such a Jared Brown question. Okay. (laughs) It is. It's a mouthful. If you had to build a team, I love you, Jared. If you had to build a team of only college football players to compete in the various skills challenge at the NFL Pro Bowl, which five players would you pick? Wait, Uh, uh, wait, 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 wait. There are rules. Okay, I'll follow the rules. (laughs) Has to be at least one quarterback, one wide receiver or defensive back, and one offensive lineman. All right, no problem. And Jared is a great friend of the show. Always says yeah, yeah, awesome absolutely. questions. This is a fun one. For me, I think the quarterback would be if I'm going I'm going to go draft eligible guy here. Justin yep. Herbert would be my guy to make all those pinpoint throws in the quarterback skill competition at the Pro Bowl. Part of me wanted to take Tua. I think Tua would be a lot of fun in this. So Herbert and Tua really right there. Let them go side by side and just whoever knocks out the most targets wins. Wide receiver, I'm going to take Hollywood Brown. Uh, when your nickname is Hollywood, you get to steal <laughs> the show. Hollywood Brown would be, you know, the speed we've seen from him, the playmaking ability. I think he would fit very well in that challenge. Offensive line for me, I'm going to keep this short and simple, and we're going back to the Alabama well here. Jonah Williams, three-year starter, started at right tackle as soon as he got to campus. He now plays on the left side. I think he's the best offensive lineman prospect in the country. I'm not picking against him. It's as simple as that. How many times have you gotten up in the middle of the night, looked in the mirror and said, God, I wish my mom named me Hollywood. Oh, my God. I I generally (laughs) like my name, but I wish I had like I wish that was my middle name. Like Connor Hollywood. Hollywood There's no reason it can't be, man. Well, my future kids, if that day ever does come, will have spectacular names. Yeah. And I just got to say, Jared, I love you, man. You're one of my favorite friend of the show. Twitter follows and uh, keep those amazing questions coming. Gets us thinking. All right. Last question from James Green. Which player could drop in the draft that shouldn't, a la Derwin James? Well, I think it's the guy I just talked about with Jonah Williams. Uh, you hear buzz from league scouts that some teams have him as a guard. I don't see it. I think he's a franchise tackle. I think he's worthy of a top 10 draft selection. And, and it just wouldn't shock me. The league overthinks good players time and time again. Look at Derwin James. He has had a Jamal Adams level impact. Jamal Adams was taken sixth overall. Derwin James didn't even crack the top 15. It's ridiculous when you look at the picks made ahead of him. This happens every single year in the draft. Another example is Harold Landry taken in the middle of the Mm -hmm. second round. He's arguably been the best rookie pass rusher, and he looks like it, it might be that way. There was some concerns with medicals there, but teams overthink these. Teams are scared to take risk and It happens often, and if Jonah Williams falls outside the top 10 and ends up being one of the better tackles in the game five years from now, I wouldn't even be surprised at all. Yeah, that's all. That's all of them. 
All right, well, that's our show. Whiskey, it was great having you, man. I always need a little help with the draft on draft questions. Can't do those solo. I really appreciate you guys sticking out with me solo this week. Let's uh, send some get well wishes for Matt, who has had a, a pretty brutal morning. Maybe Mello passed on that stomach bug to him. I don't know what happened there, but they'll be <laughs> back for the Friday show. So check it out then. A reminder, in less than two weeks, we are in Baton Rouge for LSU Georgia for the yeah! tailgate tour. It's going to be awesome. I will catch you guys next week.